Realtor.com is making a stand for buyer representation, and you can too. Join Realtor.com in sharing the list of 111 things buyer's agents do. Visit Realtor.com slash buyer agent toolkit to help spread the word. Buyer agents are essential. Read the documents. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you enough times that that, that just isn't happening. And I don't know why, uh, but I, I think it's just, you know, they're in a rush. They're so excited. They're, um, I get to be my own boss. I get to open my own shop. Uh, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm more excited about just getting open than, than actually understanding what my fees are going to be, what I'm, what I'm going to have to, to do to get this thing opened. Uh, I'm not asking the questions. Once the document is signed, you're stuck. I mean, it is very, very difficult to modify or amend a franchise agreement. It is nearly impossible. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Belt, Editorial Director of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts join Tracy to share their trends, their secrets to success, and the lessons they've learned navigating this ever-changing industry. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds in real estate about leadership, business growth, trends, and strategies. I'm your host, Tracy Velt, Senior Director of Data and Content for Real Trends and Housing Wire. So today, I'd like to welcome Patrick McQueen, an attorney and founder of Metalist Legal PLC, which focuses on real estate law in Chandler, Arizona. So Patrick works in the area of real estate transactional law and real estate litigation. And before we start, I want to note that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be deemed as legal advice. Um, Real estate agents and brokers are, of course, encouraged to seek the advice of a legal professional if they have any questions or need information on the subjects we discuss. So welcome, Patrick. Well, thank you so much, Tracy. Your uh, your legal disclaimer uh, just rings rings true. It sounds like me talking. <laughs> <laughs> so. I know, I know. Unfortunately, we have to put that in there. But um, you right. know, I understand. <laughs> today's podcast is, of course, all things contracts, um, and so I want to talk about it from a, both a real estate agent, independent contractor, and a brokerage um, who may be, you know, an independent broker who may be deciding to franchise. Um, so we'll start with independent contractor agreements um, that agents sign when they join a real estate brokerage. So what are you seeing as some of the common mistakes agents make um, when signing these? Yeah. Um, so obviously, as a part of uh, being associated with a brokerage, an agent is going to be required to sign a, a fair amount of documents. Uh, the, the primary document is going to be that independent contractor agreement. They're also going to have to sign a policies and procedures manual or at least acknowledge that they've reviewed it. Uh, they may have to sign a team agreement. There may be other uh, other agreements as well that, that need to be executed. But the primary one is going to be that independent contractor agreement. Um, and I'll, I'll say this. The biggest mistakes mistake that we see or hear about is that the agents don't read them. And, and so... I've, I've literally, you know, have some good friends who are real estate agents and, and they've been practicing real estate um, in, in Arizona or where have you for 20, 25 years. And, and they can tell me with a straight face that they've never actually reviewed their own independent contractor agreements. And so the biggest mistake or the most common mistake is that agents just say, well, I have no authority to, to change this. 
Uh, it doesn't matter anyway. I'm just going to sign it and and be bound to it. Um, and so that's that's probably common mistake number one. Common mistake number two um, is that they don't ask questions. <laughs> um, this is a perfect opportunity to understand what's what do these provisions really mean. Um, and and you know a couple other mistakes. You know, not seeking legal advice. You, you may not have to in every circumstance. Uh, seek out legal advice when you're when you're about to sign an independent contract agreement. Probably not a bad idea. It's a contract. They don't seek tax advice. They don't seek modifications or revisions. And so I would say those three or four or five. I don't know how many we went over. Um, very common, um, but but in, in almost um, you know ninety percent of the cases, agents just aren't signing those. Or I'm sorry, they're not reviewing those, and so they're not knowing exactly what they're bound to. And you know. There's stuff you gotta know, and and you gotta you gotta spell your 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 name right in them, and 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 so you gotta know what your your termination rights are. When do, how do I terminate this? How do I leave? How do what happens to escrows if I terminate right now? And and so um, oftentimes those just aren't getting reviewed, and and that's probably the the most common situation that I see is they're they're just not getting reviewed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it can be a little overwhelming too. Um, it's just like signing a, a, you know, for a mortgage, you stack of paperwork this big and, um, you know, it's hard to read every little thing, but there are, you know, some that are more important than others that you make sure you read every, everything on the dotted line. Um, so let's help real estate agents kind of learn from those mistakes. There's always a balance between um, what's best for the brokerage and what's best for the agent. And there should be that balance. Um, so what are some of the kind of realistic best practices for agents um, when signing or reviewing these independent contractor agreements? What are the things they should be looking for and questions they should be asking? Yeah, so... First step is obviously reviewing the document. Second step is asking questions. Third step, perhaps, is seeking input. Um, beyond that, if if you have reviewed the contract um, and and you have a good understanding of, of what you're going to be bound to, first thing that I always do uh, whenever I'm going to review one of these is I ask the agent to confirm that all of the business terms that they thought they were going to be receiving are are in there. That's the first thing I do, and I also have the agent review that as well. I say, look. Is the commission schedule in here correctly? Is this how you understand you're going to be paid? Is the start date what you believe it to be? Commission amounts, or th- this is how you're going to get paid. This is when you're going to get paid. Are those all in there? Are, are, that's the first thing I do. That's the first thing any agent should do is to make sure that those basic business terms are in there, right? We want to make sure we're getting paid. We're, we're, we're getting our end of the bargain. Um, the, the other stuff that you have to look for, again, if you're not going to use a, an attorney to, to do this, um, are, are some of the legal issues. And I'll give you a couple of sort of pointers or, or um, areas that, that I look at and, and I, I would encourage agents to look at. Number one, what happens if and when you leave, right? Uh, um, it, it, or if and when you're terminated from the brokerage, if you're severed from the brokerage, okay, what happens to pending escrows? What happens to client, client databases? Do I get to keep those or do they belong to the brokerage? Uh, both of those are huge and you really want to know. And most, of the, most of the time, those are included in the independent contractor agreement. Um, the other part is how do we properly terminate this agreement? Do I give 10 days notice? Do I have to give 90 days notice? Do I have to give written notice? Can I just say I quit? You know, you have to you have to honor these contractual requirements. Otherwise, the other party can say, "Well, no, I'm I'm not accepting your resignation. I'm not accepting this 
termination at this time until you do it properly. And that could delay things. That could delay your leave. That could delay your move. Um, the other thing, and, and this has been a, a kind of a hot button um, for some brokerages here in Arizona. It's also been a hot button for the National Association of Realtors and other realtor boards is, you know, at what point am I considered an employee here and not an independent contractor? And at what point am I entitled to employee benefits like unemployment, like insurance, those types of health insurance, those types of things? And so, you know, you may have an independent contractor agreement that actually allows you to collect certain employee related benefits. Maybe that wasn't what you wanted. Maybe that wasn't what the brokerage wanted, but that's what we're that's what we're doing. That's what ends up happening by virtue of this agreement. And so having reviewed this document, making sure you understand it, um, asking those questions, particularly on start dates, terminations, compensation, um, those are the big ones. Those are those are really, really huge. And then we get into some bigger issues of, well, is this person actually an employee and not an independent contractor anymore? That's more of a brokerage concern um, for sure, because brokerages, the, the business model is such that they don't want a lot of employees. They need everybody to be independent contractors. And so sometimes we'll be reviewing or, or drafting an independent contractor agreement on behalf of a brokerage. And we say, look, some of the stuff you have in here just goes too far in your requirements of these agents. You can't dictate you know, exactly what they say, exactly how they do it, exactly who they're meeting with. Then they become employees and, and you've got a bigger concern there. Yeah. Now there, there is one thing that you did mention. It's, you know, whose database is it? Um, do you find that that's outlined in a lot of independent contractor data um, agreements? I know that a lot of brokers, you know, they understand that agents are going to take their database with them. Even if they belong to the brokerage, a lot of times they'll work out an agreement to let them take them. Um, do you find that they're in a lot of these independent contractor agreements? Is that something brokerages should think about adding and agents should think about adding as well? Yeah. Even if you're if you're a brokerage, even if you never have any intention on doing anything with protecting that group of um, uh, names or contact information, even if you're going to say at the end of the day, well, you know what, the agent nurtured and created these relationships and it's most likely that they're going to go with this agent at some point in time. I would still include something in there. And we do see it a lot. Um, we, we're starting to see it even more that uh, in the independent contractor agreements, they say these are these are clients of the company. And should you decide to solicit them, you got some problems. Um, so there's non-solicitation. There's um, you know, restrictions on, on after uh, you, you leave on, 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 on your ability to practice. I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that can be snuck in there that agents just don't know and they sign off on it anyway. Um, but yeah, I would say uh, in general, it's probably a good idea to address that beforehand, just so that if things do become a little acrimonious when the agent leaves, you've got this addressed. You've got you've got you've got a provision that at least addresses this. Whether you're going to enforce it or or um, you know honor it, it's on you at that point. But but you've at least addressed it because it's much easier to come from that power position where you've got that in there um, to to you know to an agent. Yeah, and I I also noticed that um, you know we've done a couple of studies on why aren't you using your brokerage's tech platform, and some of that reason is because they don't want to give their data up to the brokerage. Um, there are I, I think Keller Williams had I, I know when they first 
started their CRM, which was years ago, they had an agreement with the agent that the agents could basically they'd wipe their information from the system and give it all back to them. I'm not sure what's in place anymore. I don't know what brokers have. Um, you know, I'm sure not all of them have that agreement. Um, is there is there something special uh, related to technology and tech platforms? Well, there is. And you see the whole gamut of, of things that say, look, if you tell anybody about our tech platform, uh, you you violated our confidentiality provision that we put into this independent contractor agreement. So we see it, it, that at one extreme and then we see the other extreme that says, look, if you've if you've nurtured these people and you've put them into the database, um, they're yours. And so 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 absolutely. So in some instances, brokerages think very highly and they pay a lot of money for their tech platforms and they want to protect them. Uh, they want to protect the data that's been put into them. They don't want to have to ha- hassle or or deal with any agent issues after an agent leaves. So they say, "Look, these are ours now." Um, or they or they take the other sort of extreme that says, "Okay, you can have them. They're yours. You put them in here. We're not going to try to mess with them." So you you definitely see the extremes, and and where you have a problem is where people don't address it. Um, you you to me, you've got to address it beforehand before it becomes an issue before you're scrambling to protect certain stuff that you thought was already protected. Yeah, definitely. And from a brokerage perspective, are there any best practices for brokerage so that um, you know, they're they're meeting the agent's needs but also protecting themselves? Well, in general or in terms of the independent contractor agreement. Independent contractor agreement or, you know, we could talk about some of the other agreements that you talked about like the policies and procedures manual and um, you know, signing off on that and and some of the other agreements that you see. Yeah, just not clearly spelling out the the way commissions are going to be paid, uh not clearly spelling out the the same things that that I talked about on on the agent side are usually on on the brokerage side when it comes to an independent contractor agreement. Again, the termination issue is huge. How do we terminate? What do we do upon a termination? What happens to pending escrows upon a termination? What happens to all this, this, these clients? Uh, am I going to enforce this restriction that you can't practice real estate for 90 miles or whatever? We, you know, are, we going to, are we going to actually enforce that? Or is that just a kind of a throw in there to kind of scare the agent? Um, you know, those are the types of things in independent contract agreement. The other issue is making certain that we specify that under no circumstances is this person an employee. Um, they are purely an independent contractor and they have rights as an independent contractor. So those are really the big brokerage things on the on the independent contractor side. Now, when it comes to a policy and procedure manual, there are, there are plenty of um, states that actually publish or give you a guide as to what really needs to be in there. So follow that. You, know, you don't need to come up and, and recreate the wheel here. Um, where I see uh, brokerages goofing up on the policies and procedure manual um, is is usually they're not updating them enough. I would say once or twice a year, updating those is probably sufficient. But you really need to update them with your policies on some of the newer stuff, some of the newer real estate trends that are out there. Uh, right now, one of the bigger real estate trends is uh, subject to transactions because interest rates are a little bit higher. So people are doing you know unique financing. Um, it was wholesaling a couple of months ago. That's still going to be popular. Update your documents. Are you allowing that as, as a brokerage? Update your policy and procedure manual to address when it is you can or you can't do a wholesale transaction. What about agents that do their own fix and flips? What about agents that want to sell their own homes? You know, Those are opportunities for you to update your policy and procedure manual to make sure that, that those new things are in there. So the new trends, the new kind of deals uh, 
um, that we're seeing out there, even if you're not going to allow them, you need to put it in there that you're not allowing this. So there's no ambiguity when an agent comes to you with a subject to deal and you go, no, you can't do this. And the agent says, well, there's no restriction in my policy and procedure manual. I want to do it. Um, and so it really, for me, it's, it's, I can't recommend strongly enough that, 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 you know, there be a, um, an update regularly, probably at the end or beginning of each year. You know, the other stuff that where brokerages kind of could do a little bit better is certainly in training. Um, you know, ha- have a little bit more regular training, provide those opportunities. Um, the other one is not severing fast enough. Um, if you if you catch wind that you've got an agent out there who's, who's acting outside of the scope of what it means to be a real estate agent, you got it. That's just liability. Um, and then insurance, um, not having adequate or appropriate insurance for the brokerage, um, that's been known to bite some brokerages in, in the past. So I would say you know we've, we've addressed the independent contractor stuff. I, I would we went over that. Policy and procedure manual, I would really just focus on updating that and getting a good form to start with. And you can get those good forms uh, from a lot of departments of real estate for for each individual states and then doing enough training and, and, of course, making sure you've got enough insurance. Success might look different this year, but it's out there for those willing to work for it. That's why 2023's Gathering of Eagles will focus on forging opportunities, the perfect chance for industry leaders to take a proactive approach to continually move the needle in their businesses and the real estate industry at large. Gathering of Eagles will bring together the nation's top residential real estate CEOs, presidents, and C-level leadership teams to grow, network, and set the pace for what's next in our industry. 2023's GOE is at Omni Barton Creek Resort in the rolling hill country of Austin, Texas from June 18th until the 21st. Learn more and register your spot on the events page at realtrends.com. And we can't wait to see you in Austin. I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, you know, we're talking a little bit about brokerages, um, but we're going to switch gears completely to brokerages right now and franchise agreements. Um, you recently wrote an article for Real Trends um, that will be published by the time this podcast goes live. And there are a few areas that you kind of highlighted as areas that brokers sometimes overlook when they when they sign these agreements. So let's discuss some of those areas and um, what questions maybe brokers should be asking um, when they're when they're reviewing their franchise agreement. Yeah. So we represent a lot of business owners real estate brokers, and they ultimately want to own or open their own franchise. And, and that's great. They want to be their own boss. They want to you know, open up the next Century 21 or Remax, whatever, whatever it may be. And they're super excited about that. And they sometimes overlook the most basic thing, in my opinion, uh, which is the underlying real estate itself. What are, where are you going to operate? What are you going to do in your leased space. And that, this goes for real estate brokerages who are opening franchises. This goes for anybody who, who's going to need real estate for their, for their franchise business. So it pertains to the real estate in and of itself. This is where we see a lot of people goofing up and they just say, okay, cool, do whatever, whatever, whatever we need to do. And they don't really review that franchise document to understand whose role it is to do what. So first, you know, um, are, are you going to have a lease or are you going to purchase a space to, to operate? Um, does the franchisor need, you know, the, the main franchise or company, do, do they need to review your lease? Do they need to approve your lease? Do they need to be okay with your lease? Do they need to be involved in it? 
you've got to review your franchise documents to, to determine that because there could be a fee associated with that. Second thing is, um, is the franchisor going to be involved in site selection? And again, these apply to real estate companies or any franchise business, but particularly real estate franchises because they need to operate. They need to have an office space usually uh, by at least some office space by uh, state regulation. So who's going to be involved in, in, in site selection? Okay. Is, does the franchisor have a say? Do I have to pay them to help me? Who knows? Do I have to use third parties that are already designated by my franchisor? Are there architects um, that I have to use? Are there, are there uh, design professionals that I have to use? Um, are there builders that I have to use? And, and what is the franchisor going to charge for me to be associated with those people, right? We need to know all of this stuff, often, often overlooked. Um, real estate brokers and, and fees associated with real estate brokers. Do I have to use a different real estate broker to, even though I'm a real estate broker, to find my own franchise space? So <clears throat> lots, lots and lots of issues that are going to be outlined in the franchise disclosure documents, in some of the policies and procedure manual that you're going to get from your franchisor. But that is stuff you have to know because if you don't do it right, it's going to come back and bite you. It's going to delay things. Um, what about initial equipment and, and fixtures? Do I have to buy those from my franchisor? Do I have to get those approved, etc.? cetera? Um, often, often overlooked um, until it's too late. And so brokerages that are that, that own or operate out of real estate, which most real estate brokerages who are operating franchises are going to do or going to need need to know about the underlying real estate and what their rights are when it comes to that. Um, and so, unfortunately, that's just something that gets overlooked. Well, what are some of the best practices um, for brokers who are ready to join a franchise? Yeah, um, read the documents. <laughs> I mean... I can't tell you enough times that 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 just isn't happening, and I don't know why. Uh, but I, I think it's just you know they're in a rush. They're so excited. They're um, I get to be my own boss. I get to open my own shop, uh, and I'm not and I'm and I'm more excited about just getting open than than actually understanding what my fees are going to be. What I'm what I'm going to have to to do to get this thing opened. Uh, I'm not asking the questions once the document is signed. You're stuck. I mean, it is very, very difficult to modify or amend a franchise agreement. It is nearly impossible. Okay. Um, so that's issue number one, reading and understanding before you get locked in. Get, that is that is best practice number one. Best practice number two, this one's a little self-serving, but use third-party experts who know uh, about lease rates, about legal provisions that need to be in your lease, that need to be in your franchise documents, uh, or that you need to ask for. Uh, from your franchisor. So CPAs, attorneys, all, all sorts of coaches, whatever it may be, um, you need to consult with third parties. So number one, read, get a good understanding of those documents. Number two, get with good third parties that can help you uh, in terms of in terms of your documents. Um, I, I would say those those are really the the two keys that that I see not happening and, and biting people a little bit. Um, so best practices are, are just going to be probably those two things, really. And if you do those two things, you're going to be head and shoulders above at least 75% of the other folks that are doing these. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, finally, I just want to talk in general about some of the common legal missteps that you see real estate agents making um, and maybe some strategies to guide them in making better decisions and brokers, too. Yeah, no, um, I teach a lot of classes to a lot of continuing education courses to real estate agents, whether 
uh, it's a true continuing education course for three hours that you have to sit through, or it's a, a webinar or seminar or whatever it may be. And there are common questions that I get. And so I, I recognize that, you know, these are the things that, that come up. So it's not reviewing the documents, uh, not advising your clients to review the documents. I mean, if, if you were simply to put an email uh, out there to a client, to a buyer that says, hey, look, it was great seeing you. Here are the documents. I strongly urge you to review every single one of them and let me know if you have questions or sitting down with them and saying, let me know what questions you come up with or you have. You're going to save a lot of trouble. You're going to save a lot of finger pointing because you gave them that opportunity. Whether they accept the opportunity to sit down with you and, and read those, if you've got an email that says, "Hey, let's sit down and talk about these," and they still sign, they still docusign that everything anyway, your your liability is likely to be zero. Okay. Second, uh, not suggesting the use of third parties, whether it's a surveyor, whether it's a CPA, uh, you know, whether it's an attorney, whatever, whatever it is, um, not suggesting that stuff is, is, and, and trying to do it on your own. A lot of agents that we run into sometimes are trying to be helpful. And I, and I get that you want to be helpful. You want to be seen as an expert, but there are certain areas that you probably shouldn't be giving advice in and, and you don't want to be engaging in certain areas that you shouldn't be. And, and so trying to do it all is, is another one. Um, too much. Uh, number three is probably putting too much in text. <laughs> um, I, you know, I worked as as an in house attorney at a real estate, a real a large real estate broker uh, development company, and we had agents all around the United States, and they would put stuff in text, and they would put stuff in email, and what we would respond with was L T L. Let's talk live. So pick up the phone and let's talk through this issue before you spill the beans in a text that somebody could pick up at a later date, so that somebody could subpoena at a later date. So anything that is said between a prospective client or a client and an attorney, that's usually going to be protected by the attorney-client privilege. But anytime an agent starts you know, saying something to another person, a third party, to their spouse, to their friend, to the other agent, to their client, it's not protected anymore. And so if you're out there saying something that you ought not to be saying, Let's clean that up. Let's LTL. Let's talk live. So we created when I was at that in-house uh, position, we created an acronym that anytime uh, somebody was saying something that they ought not to be saying, we would just say LTL, which meant let's talk live, meaning pick up the phone. Let's talk this one through before we put anything else out there. And and so that's, that's usually a good uh, bit of advice um, because I've seen some horror stories uh, on that one. And, and then, of course, not seeking input from... From third parties, I, I think I mentioned this pretty much with every single one of these. But agents themselves need need their own independent help as well. Sometimes don't don't do it all on your own. And, and um, you know, when it comes to and you know putting together an offer or and, and then the offer being accepted as a contract, you know, um, for a house specifically, um, we didn't really discuss any of that. But um, you know, I, I told you that was your last question, but I started thinking about this because I know there are a lot of um, missteps when it comes to filling out these contracts, whether it's leaving blanks or um, you know, not understanding the um, what a business day is uh, and you know the timeframes in that. Um, so maybe just quickly run down a couple of, you know, in a real estate contract, what are, um, you know, what are some best practices for agents and, you know, to learn the contract and to actually understand what they're, what they're presenting to their. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of trial and error in in what you just said, and and sometimes on the job training when you when you get something handed back to you is uh, is the best training. Um, but sitting through the extra CE courses, sitting through webinars, learning, absorbing, you know, from from people who have done it a long time. I, I mean, I can't stress that enough um, because each state has you know it has what's written. But then there's also the actual practice of this, which may differ. And so knowing the, the, the intricacies of your particular area, knowing the intricacies of your state, um, both, both very, very huge. Talking with title and escrow people. I mean, the, the, they are usually incredibly helpful um, when you have a question. Um, and, and, you know, they're there kind of to, to help get these deals done, but they can be a good source. Uh, I'm happy to be a good source. You know, there are also there are so many resources out there for people so that they don't feel like they're struggling so much with, um, you know, should I add this or should I include this or should I not include this or what does this really mean? Uh, a lot of it is just practice, though, too. Um, you know, it, it just takes time to understand what certain things really, really do mean. And and it's just it's just going to take some time. And so this, the, the faster you can rev that up by, you know, watching and observing somebody who's a little bit better. Um, or more experienced is, is super helpful. Getting on a team, um, a lot of a lot of people who are starting out will get on a team, and and they will have some coaching from that the team leader. Uh, I think that can be huge as well because you know you don't know what you don't know, and and you'll find out soon. <laughs> and when you step into something and embarrass yourself or or mess something up for your client, so um, definitely get get the advice of someone a little bit more senior. Yeah, and I, I think brokers are doing a pretty good job of um, teaching. Uh, their agents, how to fill these contracts out and, and offers out and understanding, um, you know, what, what everything means. And yeah, there are lots of courses through the local boards and associations um, as well to, to teach them. So, um, well, Patrick, thank you so much for being on the Real Trending podcast. We really appreciate all of your knowledge and, um, and thanks so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. If you haven't already, we'd love it if you'd take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. And we will see you next week with more news and insights.